Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. But let's get started with prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for the beautiful gift of your word that you've given us. Not just the living word, Jesus, but also the written word that we have in front of us now. So we pray that you teach us from your word today and uh, let the Holy Spirit bring about the changes in us that you desire. Help us to open ourselves to change, as uh, Jeff Broadnax just said. You're doing a major refurbishing of our lives. So help us to get out of the way and let you do your work. And we know that you're dedicated to see it through to the very end. Thank you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to start off here with a little story about a woman named Anne. She's a Christian who goes to church. It says, on the previous Sunday, Anne had dropped a prayer request in the offering basket, asking her pastor to stop in and pray with her at the hospital this coming week where she was going to be going in for minor surgery. When the pastor failed to come by at the hospital, she called the church secretary and learned that her pastor had already been to the hospital that morning to see another church member. So he has no excuse, she thought. He was in the building and knew I needed his support, but still he ignored me. He's resented me ever since I told him his sermons lacked practical application. Now he's getting back at me by ignoring my spiritual needs, and he calls himself a shepherd. After brooding over his rejection for three days, Anne sat down Saturday evening and wrote a letter confronting her pastor about his pride, defensiveness, and hypocrisy. As she sealed the envelope, she could not help thinking about the conviction he would feel when he opened his mail. The moment she walked into church the next morning, one of the deacons hurried over to her. Anne, I need to apologize to you. When I took the prayer cards off, off the offering plates last week, I accidentally left your card with some pledge cards. I didn't notice my mistake until last night when I was totaling the pledges. I'm sorry I didn't get your request to the pastor. Before Anne could reply to the deacon, her pastor approached her with a warm smile. Anne, I was thinking about your comment about practical application as I finished my sermon yesterday. I hope you noticed the difference in today's message. Anne was speechless. All she could think about was the letter she had just dropped in the mailbox on her way to church. Anne discovered judging others can put us in embarrassing situations. How many, how many of you have experienced a similar thing where you've judged something wrong and ended up having to apologize for it. I'm raising my hand up high, <laughs> okay? Jesus had a lot to say about judging others, especially in the wrong way. Now, don't get me wrong, there are some situations in life where we need to decide right and wrong. We look at other people's actions, or other people look at our actions, and sometimes if we do something wrong, it's helpful for somebody to tell us. Now, isn't that one great thing about marriage? Because guys, whenever you do something wrong, your wife is there to quickly correct you. <laughs> and that's a good thing, because she kind of straightens you out. She wants to keep you on the right path. And sometimes we make the mistake of trying to do the same for her. <laughs> we get ourselves into trouble. 
But notice what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. He says, do not judge. Now, as we're going to see, he's really meaning don't judge in a negative way, in a critical way, which we fall into the habit of doing. Do not judge or you too will be judged, not only in this life, but by God ultimately. So God watches the way we judge situations. And if we're a negative, critical judge a lot of the time, he guarantees us that that's the way we're going to be judged. Verse 2, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Okay, so that's a warning from Jesus. Don't be a critical person. Sure, we have to judge certain things in life. But you know what? You can judge fairly or you can judge in a biased way, in a critical way. And there's nothing worse than a person who is always negative and always critical. You know, over my years in ministry, I, have, I know I've counseled with some women, wives, who complain that their husbands are always like that. They can't do anything right because their husband always finds something wrong about it, whether it's the meal, whether it's the cleanliness of the house, whether it's the way she dresses or does her hair, he's not happy with anything. Nobody wants to be around a person like that. The Jewish Talmud had a saying that I read the other day, and this is what it says, one who judges his neighbor favorably will be judged favorably by God. So God wants us to have a positive attitude whenever we judge things. You know, this statement that, that Jesus said here, do not judge. Don't judge in a negative way or in a critical way. Few sayings of Jesus have caused more frustration for Christians than his words about judging. Now, one of the main reasons that we judge others is a lack of awareness of our own sins. Non-Christians avoid going to church because they fear that they're going to be judged. There's just something about Christians, and it shouldn't be, that we tend to hold ourselves above the rest of the human race. And that comes across to people who are not Christians as a holier-than-thou attitude. That these Christians think that they're better, so much better than we are, and they're looking at us all the time, and they're judging us, and they're thinking what a loser we are, or what a sinner we are. That's why a lot of people don't eventually come into church. Because who wants to come into a group of people that are going to do nothing but judge them? I don't blame them. I don't want to be judged like that. So we have to be careful what our attitude is toward other people. Turn with me to Luke chapter 18. Because here's a real nice story by Jesus of two different men. One who is very judgmental and one who is fully aware of his own sins. 
And like I said, the more you're aware of your own sins, the less you're likely to judge other people in a negative, critical way. This is the story of the Pharisee and the publican, Luke 18, beginning in verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, in other words, they judged them in a negative way, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, one of the chief religious leaders of the day, and the other a tax collector, probably the lowest dreg of society. Because remember, the tax collectors were tied in with the Romans. They were collecting taxes for the Romans, and all the Jews hated them. They despised them. So as these two men went up to the temple, you would think that the Pharisee, the religious leader, would have gotten Jesus' praise. But it doesn't work out that way. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this yuck tax collector. Okay? I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Now this man appeared to be super. You know, he, God would have been very pleased with him, don't you think? But the tax collector, verse 13, stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So the self-righteous guy was judging others negatively. The tax collector, who was well aware of his sins, beat his breast as some religious people do, he didn't criticize anybody. All he said was, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, verse 14, that this man, the humble tax collector who knew his sins, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Now, wait a minute. The one guy's a sinner, the other guy's a Pharisee, a religious leader. How can the sinner, the Pharisee, go back home more justified? Because he was aware of his sins. He was humble about it, and he didn't judge others. He says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Amen. Why is it that we judge others in such a negative way? Maybe it's because we're not fully aware of our sins and ask ourselves the question, well, who am I to judge that other person or condemn them or criticize them? I do some of the same things. See, that's the attitude that God wants to see in all of us, to be aware of our own sins. And when we're aware of our own sins, we're less likely to judge others. Amen. Funny thing about human nature is in a lot of cases, we negatively judge other people who do some of the same things we do. Did you ever notice that? You're looking, you know, you, you've come, I guess, to a sense of peace about the way you live and some of the wrong things that you do. But then when you see it in others, you criticize it. Why don't we just criticize ourselves? Did you ever hear the, the person who said, you know, the thing I hate about that other person is they talk too much. 
And I hate people who talk too much. If there's one thing I can't stand is people who talk, you know, they've got the problem themselves. They don't see it in themselves, they see it in other people. And they condemn it in other people. I think there's a term like transfer, where you take your psychological hang-ups and you transfer them. You look for them in other people and you'll criticize them there, but you won't see it in yourself and, and criticize yourself. You know, we live in such a fallen world. I was just talking to somebody before services about that. This is a fallen world. We're all kind of slugging our way through this life with all of the aches and pains, with all of the frustrations, with all of the disappointments that this world seems to heap upon us. But yet, we take pleasure in criticizing others who are going through the same struggles that we're going through. We're always looking, always aware of other people's shortcomings, but not of our own. This man went away justified because he was aware of his own shortcomings. Amen. And when you're aware of your own shortcomings, I don't mean to be depressed about it, because we as Christians know that we're forgiven. We have grace and we have mercy from God. So let's get off other people's issues and just focus on ourselves and be thankful that we have a Savior who has wiped away all of our sins and all of our problems. So from everything else that Jesus taught about judging, we know he wasn't telling us to turn a blind eye to sin. We have to know sin when we see it, hopefully in our own lives. But there comes a time maybe where we see it in other people's lives, and we have to very tactfully and humbly say a word to them. We have a responsibility to do that. That's scriptural. But how do you acknowledge sin without judging it? Or maybe we should just file this in the impossible category, like loving your enemy. Who can do that? Well, who can, who can not judge? You know, one of the earliest rabbinic sages said this, judge each person with the scales weighted in their favor. Do you remember the old-time scales? I forgot to look for a piece of chalk today. I was actually going to draw a picture of one. Can I walk behind these uh, speakers without making loud noises? Here's a piece of chalk. I was going to do this before, but I forgot. For those of you young people who, who don't know what I'm talking about, My drawing is terrible. That's about as close as I'm going to get. <laughs> you know what I mean when I say a scale? Back in the old days, old, old days when we were real young, they didn't have scales like they do today, so how do you weigh something? Somebody comes in and says, I want a, I want a pound of uh, wheat. Okay, you got this scale that's perfectly balanced, and what you do is, to come up with a pound of wheat, you put a little weight in here that you know weighs a pound. So all of a sudden, this scale goes, whoop, it tips like that. So you get out your wheat, and you get a container here, and you fill it up with wheat until the scales are equal again. Then you know you got exactly one pound of wheat there to sell to the person. Now what the rabbi says is, when it comes to judging people, we should judge 
each person with the scales weighted in their favor. So in other words, you give them more wheat so that the scale actually goes like this a little bit. You're being overly generous. You're giving the person more than a pound of wheat. You're generous. And that's the way you're going to judge them. That you're going to think the best of them, and you're going to give them more than they deserve. Isn't that the way God judges us? I mean, with his forgiveness of our sins, hasn't he forgiven us of more than we deserve to be forgiven of? He has judged us with the scales weighted in our favor. So God says that's the sort of attitude we should have when it comes to judging other people, Amen. forgiving other people. Amen. You remember, uh, and again, I, I talk about the old days. I remember when I was a kid, we used to go to a, a place like Dunkin' Donuts or a family-owned bakery, and you asked for a dozen donuts, and how many did they give you? Thirteen. Thirteen. Isn't that a nice thought? We still remember that, because that was generous toward us. It was called a baker's dozen. Now he's used to think, why? He made a mistake, he gave us 13 donuts. And they said, my parents said, no, that's a baker's dozen. Why does a baker do that? Because he appreciates the fact that you came into his store and bought a whole dozen of donuts, which was a lot of money back in those days. And to show his appreciation to you, because the donuts cost him very little, he would give you an extra one, with the hopes that you'll come back and do it again. That's the way we should judge other people. We should give them the benefit of a doubt, okay? The idea that you should weigh the deeds of others on the side of generosity, because that's God's approach toward us. Give other people the benefit of a doubt. Now, I'm, you know, I've been a pastor many years now, and I find myself judging other people. It usually happens when I'm stressed out. You know, here I am in the store, you pick your supermarket, Ruley Brothers, Sparkle, Giant Eagle, and I'm waiting in line, okay, I get in the express line because I only have one or two items to buy. And I look ahead of me and here's a person up there with a cart full of stuff. This is the express lane, 12 items or less. That person's gotta have 18 or 19 items in their cart. And I'm thinking to myself, what, what in the world didn't they learn how to count when they were little? It says 12 items or less, okay? Or another occasion where I'm pulling out of the parking lot and uh, you know, you're allowed to make a, a right turn on red around here. So here's this person in front of me. I'm waiting at the light, it's red. The person's got their right turn signal on. I'm behind them, I'm in a hurry, and they're not turning right. There's nobody coming. And they're just sitting there, kind of looking down at their uh, cell phone. And, you know, I'm, I'm just about ready to beep my horn and just blast them away. Hey, you know, we all got lies to live here. You could turn right on red. Why don't you just go ahead? See, that's judging harshly. And a lot of times I think these things, or I may say it in the privacy of my car, or maybe sometimes my wife is sitting next to me. I don't say it loud enough for the person in the car in front of me to hear it, but that's what I'm thinking. Now, if I were to judge them with the scales weighted in their favor, I might think to myself, well, you know, maybe uh, this woman's got a, a kid in the hospital and she just got a text from the doctor and she's trying to figure it out and, you know, answer back. It's an emergency type situation and she's distracted. She can't turn right because she's focused on her phone right now and communicating something very important. 
okay? That's judging favorably. That's giving the person the benefit of a doubt. You know, the person in line at the store ahead of me with the 18 items in the, in the uh, speedy checkout lane, what's their situation? Sure, they can count. They know how many they have, but maybe, maybe they have to go to the bathroom really bad. <laughs> you know, when you have to go to the bathroom really bad, you do desperate things, desperate measures, okay? And you, I gotta get out of this store and back home or wherever, and uh, I'm gonna take the, uh, you know, express lane. Sorry, folks. This is an emergency, a real emergency. That's judging people with the scales tilted in their favor. Turn with me to Luke chapter 6. I think that's what Jesus is trying to say. We judge things every day. There are things that we have to consider and maybe make a decision on. But we shouldn't judge negatively. We shouldn't judge critically. Luke 6, verse 37. Do not judge or you do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. That's, that's your side of the scale there. God is overfilling your side of the scale. He's giving you more than you deserve when it comes to forgiveness, mercy, grace. I think we'll all agree to that. We've received that from God. God has poured into our side of the scale much more than we deserve. He says, you have to have that same attitude toward other people now. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So there's a lesson to be learned there when it comes to uh, forgiveness. When it comes to not judging others. I thought that was rubbing against my shirt, but it's not. It's something else. You want to go back to the, uh, let's go back to the podium. Mike. They're desperately sad. Use this one. Okay. I think we're back. Okay. You know, I can think of two different occasions in Jesus' life on earth where he made judgments. And it had to do with people sinning. So sometimes when you see somebody do something wrong and sin, Jesus still refrained from judging them critically. Okay? You might say, okay, well, it's easy to judge things where it may go one way or the other, but that person flat out sinned and flat out did something against me. I have a right to judge that critically. The two examples that I think of is, first of all, when Jesus was there and the Pharisees brought a woman taken in adultery. Remember that? That had to be very embarrassing for the woman. But you know what? She was a sinner. So Jesus had the opportunity to judge her. And that's, in fact, that's why the Pharisees brought her to him. They wanted to see him judge her. 
in a critical negative way. But the story says that Jesus wrote something in the sand on the ground and it caused all of the woman's accusers to leave. And finally, here's just the woman and Jesus. Now Jesus, the son of God, has the right and the power and the authority to just really judge this woman. And what does he say to her? Woman, where are your accusers? And she said, they're gone. And he said, neither do I accuse you or judge you. Go and sin no more. So even when somebody does something against you, Jesus set the example of erring on the side of mercy. Even though you have every right, perhaps, to judge the person critically. The other example, of course, was when Jesus was on the cross. Here were people murdering him. Did he have the right to judge them harshly? <laughs> you know, Jesus on the cross could have said, yeah, we're going to get even with you, you people. Crucifying the Son of God, you just wait. Your punishment's coming. He had every right to judge them in a negative and critical way. Yet what did he do? He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Wait a minute. They knew what they were doing. They were murdering him. But Jesus meant they didn't know who they were murdering. If they would have known that this was truly the Son of God, maybe they wouldn't have. So notice the mercy that Jesus has when it comes to judging. And he set several examples for us. Now, granted, I'm not saying, you know, we, we turn a blind eye to something that is being done wrong. Because sometimes we have to take a stand. One other passage I want to look at in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. So, you know, think about your daily life. Think about your home situation, your mate, your kids. Think about uh, where you work and all the judging that goes on there and the talking behind people's backs and the nasty comments that are made. Where do you stand as a Christian with regard to all this? Paul says in 1 Corinthians, which of course is the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 4. This is the, the passage that should describe our attitude in all things. Love is patient. So that rules me out in the car, you know, talking about the woman in front of me who won't turn right on red. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love always looks for reasonable ways to trust others, to hope that they're doing what is right, to interpret their words uh, and actions in a way that protects a person's reputation and credibility. Which means you're not talking behind their back. You're not spreading rumors about them. You're not confronting them because you realize you're a sinner too. And some of the things that this person's doing may be the exact same thing that you do. 
So who are we to judge in a negative, critical way? Jesus forbids us to judge others until we have done two things. First of all, we have to take responsibility for any contribution we have made to a problem. You know, you have maybe caused the other person to do the things that they're doing, okay? Uh, you may have a hand in it. So first of all, you have to look at that and you have to repent. And secondly, we must make an effort to see clearly, to have that good eye, to accurately understand what someone else has done and why he or she did it. We have to have compassion, in other words. We can't just write off any sin as okay, but we need to understand maybe why it happened and why this person is, is dealing with that. You know, for example, this woman, Anne, who had it in for the pastor. You know, maybe finally she's gonna come to the pastor and say, I'm so humiliated, pastor. You know, I'm so sorry I wrote you that letter criticizing you. The pastor perhaps knows enough about this woman, Anne, to know that she deals with anxiety, she deals with depression, uh, she's got a, a terrible home life with her husband and with her kids, and she just reaches the breaking point sometimes and ends up taking it out on other people. To look at it with compassion and understanding and to say, you know, that's okay. I understand. Yeah, he had a rough day the other day. Or, or maybe I do need to, as a pastor, be more uh, aware of some of the things I do and to not put things off and, and that sort of thing. So we shouldn't assume things about other people. We shouldn't jump to conclusions about others. Yeah, maybe they did do something wrong. But come to understand maybe why. And be quick to forgive like God has forgive, forgiven us. You know, it says back here in Exodus chapter 20, I want to refer quickly to one of the commandments, because it actually means more than we normally think it does. Exodus 20, verse 16. Exodus 20, verse 16 says this, You shall not give false testimony about your neighbor. So we know you're not supposed to lie. Granted, we got that. Don't lie. We still struggle with that, but that's one of the commandments. Don't lie. But it means more than that. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. We should not only avoid lying, but we should render charitable judgments about our neighbor. In other words, to think the best of them, to have that understanding. Luther uh, wrote a catechism, and Martin Luther, and this is what he said about this commandment, and what it means. Martin Luther said, we should fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray our neighbor, slander our neighbor, or hurt their reputation but rather we should defend our neighbor, we should speak well of our neighbor, and we should explain everything in the kindest, kindest way. That's what he said that command really means. It means more than don't lie. It has a bearing on how we treat our neighbor, and we should treat them with mercy, and we should make sure that the balances are weighted in their favor 
with every experience we have with them. So we need to ask God today to help us to put on the habit of charitable judging. Help us to acknowledge others' virtues. Instead of looking at the worst in other people, let's look at the best in other people. Because no matter what they've done, and no matter what your experience is, that person actually does have a lot of good faults, or I should say good character traits. We should delight in our neighbor's successes. We should overlook their faults. We should defend their reputation. We should seek to understand their perspective. We need to believe the best about them until we have facts to prove otherwise. And we need to ask God to help us to deal honestly, humbly, and constructively with others' true failings. You know, when we do find out about other people's sins, not that we're nosy and we're trying to pry into their lives, but sometimes you're confronted with a situation and maybe you see a person doing something that they shouldn't be doing. You don't just write them off as a loser, but you're there to help them, to pray for them, to do whatever you can to uh, help them in the struggles that they're dealing with. And we should ask God to help us to seek forgiveness for those that we have misjudged. And we have, nobody likes to be misjudged. There have been times in my life where people thought things of me that I knew just were not true. And it hurts when somebody does that to you, it really does. So we need to be quick to ask God's forgiveness and maybe in some cases to go and apologize to people that we have misjudged. And it is so quick to misjudge people. It seems so natural. It's like falling off a log to always think the worst, to always look for the worst in other people. Like we're hoping that they trip up and that, that we could see that and talk to others about it or condemn them for it. Thank God that he's not like that with us. He always thinks the best about us. He always hopes for change and for transformation in us. So we need to be more like God and less like the human race. We're still fighting with uh, the wrong kind of feelings. We're affected every day by society around us. Boy, you want to talk about judging, all you have to do is turn on TV and watch the news or watch any talk show, and it's all negative, and it's all critical, and it's all very unfair and displeasing to God. We've been called to be something else, something better, something different. Not that we can be self-righteous like the Pharisee, but like we could be the publican who's aware of his or her own sins and is just thankful for God's mercy and does not judge. We're going to be having communion now. And I think it's